Hello, Food Chain. This is Sharon Chitun, and I'm a food tech junkie and innovation nerd who loves a good story. This podcast combines all of my favorite vices into a deep dive about the problems our food system faces and the visionary people working on solutions. In today's episode, we are thrilled to have Dana McCauley, the CEO of the Canadian Food Innovation Network, as our guest. Dana stands at the forefront of food innovation bringing with her a wealth of experience from launching numerous food products and programs to being a celebrated food writer and trends commentator. Join us as we uncover the insight and strategies behind fostering innovation and growth in Canada. So are you ready? Here we go. Hi, Dana. How are you? I am fantastic, Sharon. I hope you're doing well, too. I am good. I am good. Thank you. So I am curious to learn more about your organization and about you. You, We just had a very brief conversation and you just said you come from TV. So that made me even more curious. So for obviously people that don't know you, could you give us a little bit of background about who you are and obviously how you got to CFIN? Well, I've been around for a while. I've been in the food industry for pretty much my entire career. So we're coming up to about 30 years. And I've basically gotten further away from people's mouths which with each job I've had. So I actually started out as a chef, working in fine dining, like cutting edge type of restaurants in Toronto. And I left that very grueling, competitive space to apply my skills. I have a degree in English as well as chef's training. And I went into food media. So for many years, I I worked at women's services magazines here in Canada, Canadian Living, Chatelaine, big national magazines in their test kitchens, developing recipes and writing articles about food and cooking. And when I, I left to put out my own shingle and write cookbooks, I started to to market myself. And that was interesting because I wasn't that comfortable with doing sales. So I started a newsletter called Top Line Trends in 1996. It was apparently one of the first email newsletters and that became a thing. And, and that's what led me to, to get onto television because people were like, oh, she's the food trends lady. So through that work, I had regular spots on on some morning shows in Canada. I did CNN and TV Tokyo and the Today Show in the US. That It was a really wonderful part of my career. And all the time I was doing that, the industry started to notice that I had things to say that were applicable to what they did. So they came to me and it turned out that I was really good at positioning and understanding how companies could grow market share by serving, creating food products and food content that would work for for groups that they weren't already serving. So I ended up owning a test kitchen and eventually selling that and going to work for one of my clients, which got me into the corporate food world of manufacturing at an executive level. Did that for about seven, seven to 10 years, depending on how you define it, and left and became involved with the city of Toronto effort to grow entrepreneurial capacity in the food business by running Canada's first food business incubator and accelerator. I went to the University of Guelph, 
helped researchers learn how to commercialize their research and apply it to the food and agriculture business, because it's a very agricultural and food-focused university here in Canada. And then here I am now at CPEN, where we help to build capacity for Canada in the food space. We are all about technology and technology adoption and about growing uh, Canada's GDP through food innovation. So as I say, I started out cooking for people who were feet away from me and now doing things that are a lot further away from the consumer. Wow, that's a well tremendous journey. Kudos. Yeah, it's it sounds like it's been fun. You've seen all the different parts. And sort of in a way coming back full circle because we're part of a movement that needs a lot of advocacy, a lot of promotion, a lot of content also, right? The innovation needs to be pushed and people need to understand innovation can bring us towards a better food system, a more resilient food system and why that's important. So cool. And exactly what is the Canada Food Innovation Network? So the Canada Food Innovation Network is exactly what it says. It is a network. We we do give funding out to partners and innovators who are wanting to test their, their ideas about how to solve food business problems. But we exist primarily to, to bring the food industry together. So Canada is an interesting place geographically. It's huge and very regional. And the provincial government system that we have means that a lot of effort goes into creating very vibrant ecosystems across the country. But sometimes those ecosystems don't have any any attachment to their next-door neighbors even. What we do at the Canadian Food Innovation Network, uh, we call ourselves CFIN for short, is we have created an online space called Yodel. And the logo looks just like what you think with Yodel. It shows a bunch of mountains pulled together. It's a variation of our logo flipped on its side. And that's a place where anybody working in food innovation can come to meet. And not just Canadians. We're finding increasingly often that people from other countries are interested in what is happening on Yodel. It's a place where we publish content on a daily basis and where innovators have conversations. Sometimes they're very transactional. Hey, I need a spin dryer that can handle this much capacity or I am looking for mushroom powder. So some of it's very simple, but then often there's also people who are thought leaders who will publish their papers and look for comments and, and want to build out conversation there. So that network is complemented by a human touch because we get that people are still super important in this day and age uh, by five regional innovation directors who work across the country in their markets and really understand the specific challenges within those, those areas and the, the opportunities. We have amazing research capacity in Canada. Our university system is fantastic. We've got lots of contract research organizations and so we make sure that those groups are also pulled into the conversations and that we get the right people working on the right projects with the right partners and the right tools. And, and, and then we do have funding to, to co-fund these projects, which are generally about test bedding and piloting. And we actually take some risks. A lot of government funding groups don't. They want a defined ROI on an application. 
we're fine if people say, we think this is going to do this and this. For these good reasons, we expect this outcome will likely help those partners to do that work. So it's interesting because we've been around since April 2021, started mobilizing dollars into the marketplace and building this community around September of that year. And now here we are not that far into the future and we've already got almost 4,000 members and we have mobilized over $15 million into projects. And we're now, as I said, starting to think about, wow, what could be relevant about what we're building here for the rest of the world? And so it's a great opportunity to get to talk to you and and explore that. I'm hoping to learn from you as much as uh, maybe I I hope to educate others today. Wow. Well, great initiative. There should be more initiatives like this to really also promote the, I would say, national ecosystem. I think there's strong ecosystems, national ecosystems out there, but I think it should be like a, a regular, normal thing for each country. So I'm always impressed when... Uh, when I meet people like yourself, obviously you told us a little bit about how it works, but what is ultimately, what do you see it in five years? Yeah, five. It's, a, it's a good question. And I, uh, five years is not a long time to have impact in innovation. So it's, it's a question that I, I think about quite often because we can make a choice at CFIN. We can nurture emerging science that faces regulatory challenges and capacity uh, challenges because it's so new and see the long-term future. So I'm thinking things like precision fermentation and the creation of, say, really good quality cellular food products, which is exciting and important. Or we can focus on the projects that solve problems that have a really short runway and can have impact within one or two calendar years. Uh, Ultimately, we've chosen to do both. So we have invested in several projects, probably actually a double digit number of projects that are working in that very frontier space of where food science and technology intersect. But then we also are, are always looking to balance that out with some things that will have impact in the near term. And and that's become more critical, even in our short mandate time that we, the short time we've been around because of food affordability and the sustainability crisis that's affecting the earth. The the good news is that many of the projects that do help companies to become more competitive are based in food tech and also often have uh, benefits that uh, can be measured against the sustainability indexes and that kind of thing. So in five years, I hope that we have a really great track record of nurturing those nascent technologies and just really hammering out stuff that can be adopted quickly and hopefully even universally because Canada's problems aren't unique to Canada. We we have a few things that, that are different than other countries, like our geographic expanse, et cetera. So our supply chain problems are often different than other countries. But most of the other problems that we face are regrettably shared by others. So my hope is that we can test some really cool, smart, effective 
affordable technologies that we can mobilize here in Canada, prove out, and then hopefully offer to other countries who have similar problems and maybe just haven't had our capacity or just haven't gotten to the same answers that, that maybe we're able to get to with our unique juju that we have happening here in Canada. Indeed. I think one of the, the points that I try to, I get boring because I say it so much, but the, there are so many tools out there, right? So it's really a question of picking the right tool for that one problem or that one geography or that one situation. There's no one size fits all, right? Uh, and the people- Generally speaking, no. Right. Uh, we, we are all different with different climates with different problems. So I think good to strengthen the local and go from local to global back to local and keep doing this movement with all the possible collaborations and partnerships that one builds on. I think that is the right way to go. Well, absolutely. You're right. Because whenever you leave your comfort zone, whether it's geographic or intellectual, and, and start talking to other people, you get new information. So you're completely right. What you learn when you're abroad, if that happens to be the construct you're working in, if it's geographic, bringing home those new insights and those new partners is always going to be beneficial. It's never just a whoosh out into the world. And the fact that then it's a continuous expansion of also the creativity of the innovators that you have in your network, right? Those exchanges and how you can apply something that maybe was done in Canada onto a different country with some slight changes, like all of that. Absolutely. Very, very interesting. Um, I was checking... And I have already done a few articles on your investments. You've been in our newsletter before. So you guys are doing a lot of research, traveling, building. So what are the priorities today, whether it's like to keep on building collaborations or expertise? What are you looking to do today? Yeah, and so in the near future, we are just working on our plan for our next fiscal. Our fiscal year starts in April, and, and this is December. And for next year, we really want to learn more about our members, what drives them to be active in our community, what we're doing right so we can add more cowbell, what else we could do to help them. So we've basically been building the plane while we've been flying it the first two, two and a half, three years of our activity. And so now we're going to put the plane into the hangar and we're going to wash it and wax it, change the oil, take a good look around and see how the upholstery looks and that kind of thing and what's needed. So we have already learned from listening to industry and listening to our, our members who are all working within industry that they just really benefit from knowing more about each other and about what's possible for them. There's a lot of people who are working really hard, really fast-paced industry food. And so, you know, a big Part of what we want to do is to make it as simple as possible for those people to have at their fingertips the things that they need on a regular basis. So we're building a resource finder, which will be a, a self-serve tool for anybody working in, in food innovation so that they can find 
If they need paper straws, great. If they need uh, data analytics, great. They should be able to go in there and find those kinds of services. We're launching a career hub on Yodel. We hear, so our members are basically break down, and this isn't 100%, but 80% of our members would fit this model. We've got the innovators who are building technology on the one side, and then we have the anchor firms and then the larger SMEs who are adopting technology on the other side. So we need to help them to find one another. We need them to be able to communicate well and use the same language, but that doesn't matter if they don't have people. So both those groups tell us that they are, are really held back by not having the high quality personnel that is required to either build the technology or to implement run and get the maximum amount out of the technology. We, a former colleague of ours who's, who's moved back into to a senior role within um, a multinational said that we saw all these many cases of these bigger companies adopting technology and not getting the most out of it. And his, I loved it because he said, it's like they're buying a Lamborghini and driving it in first gear. So, and we've dug into why are you doing that? And in some cases, it's because they didn't hear what the innovators were really saying and they maybe adopted technology too quickly and it didn't 100% fit their needs. But more often than not, it's because they didn't have the right people in their organization. They didn't have the Formula One driver to get into that Lamborghini and, and have it hug the curves and get over the finish line first. So this career hub will be pretty small at the beginning. We want to go slowly and learn, but we hope to be socializing graduates from data science and engineering and food science and all other disciplines to come there to learn about the possibilities for themselves in the food business uh, and hopefully build long-term capacity for the, the for the industry, which hopefully will have uh, relevance, not just for Canada, but globally as well, because as we know, innovators are explorers and they like to travel. Yeah, I, well, I feel I'm guilty of that as well. I feel anybody that now opens a computer there's so many things that any app does that we do just five, at least me, that five, 10%. There's so much to learn. And if you work in the technology aspect, then you really need those expertises. Do you guys also offer, I don't know, the, the more like formative courses or education bid or no? Not yet, but it's on our roadmap to, we think, micro-credentialing. Just before chatting with you, I was speaking to a senior leader at one of Canada's best-known universities, and he was talking to me about their executive programs and about how their graduate students could benefit from our career hub. And we we're talking about micro-credentialing. We don't see our work as ever being finished because technology and innovation by their innovation by its very nature is always changing and developing. So trying to take bite-sized pieces at this point and to go out to our members and really make sure that the things we're building with our limited resources are as close in to what they need and what they'll use. We did a lot really quickly in our first couple of years, stopping up the things that were super obvious as, as needs for the food sector. But now that we've 
got a lot of that covered. It's time to to be very purposeful and and make sure that we get that much closer into to solving today's needs. Yeah. So let's zoom out a little bit and talk about let's talk about Canada. Sure. You mentioned at the beginning, obviously, that I mean a little bit of the supply chain challenges. I'm sure there are as many pros and cons, but what does the food system in in Canada look like today? So most people are probably you think of Canada and 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 when food comes up, they probably think of commodities. So things like wheat, those kinds of things have made us global players. But what's been happening in Canada for many years, is diversification of our economy and uh, moving into the value-added space. So we have great partners. We're not the only uh, government-funded group working on food issues in Canada. We have uh, neighbors, I would say, like uh, Protein Industries Canada, who work specifically on plant-based protein and are very active in building capacity to take the pulses and beans and peas and things that we grow here and uh, not just ship those out to the world, but to create something of value uh, with them through fractionation and many other types of activities. So together with folks like that, we're all trying to help Canada's economy to be based on doing something with these amazing natural resources. Now, we also have an amazing mining industry and a lot of really smart people. So our natural resources have have diversified. I would say that high quality personnel, the people coming out of our universities with bachelor's, master's and, and PhD degrees, and that intellectual capacity is really important for us. And we're working to keep those people in Canada and have them apply their knowledge to our opportunities. So what do we do with the wheat to make it even more valuable, more nutritious, what have you, that kind of thing. So there's a lot of change in Canada. Some of it is comfortable. Some of it isn't. I think the people who have a mindset of, of, of accepting change are, are doing very well with it. But some of the commodities, I would say some of the animal food businesses are feel a bit threatened uh, by some of the new science that's emerging around plant-based and cellular meat. I always try to talk to them about what is the opportunity for you? We're not going to have more land. So as the global population grows, you're not going to lose any market share because you won't be able to have more animals. You won't be able to grow more wheat or corn uh, or canola. So how can you diversify what you're doing to be part of this new emerging science so that you can grow your business? Because at a certain point, we will max out on the opportunity to to grow crops and, and to grow animal food products. So it's like everybody else. We're dealing with managing change and and thinking about how to feed ourselves. But we're also a really privileged country. And we realize that there's lots of countries that, that could use our help as well. So I think Canada is part of that that global food, food access and uh, hunger problem. I think we have a strong awareness here in Canada that we can help other countries to have 
more complete nutrition at their fingertips. And of course, even though we are a northern country and we have lots of water and all that kind of stuff, we're also very concerned about the about the future and sustainability. And, and we feel like we have the capacity to work on that. So there's a lot of great initiatives in Canada that are working on the sustainability equation, including us. We do it primarily through understanding how there's an economic component to it. For instance, we did a call where we asked the industry to come to us with ideas for how to problem solve against the use of plastics in the food industry. We got really creative solutions. It wasn't as simple as people saying, oh, we'll just substitute this uh, material for that material. It was a little bit of that. And we did fund one project that is making a new type of, uh, using a new type of material to to make a plastic-like film, which also have antimicrobials on it to increase shelf life. But we also got this really cool project, uh, a small coffee chain in Ottawa, Ontario, Canada, and an emerging company from the same region called Food Cycle Science. They said, hey, you know what? We have a lot of coffee grounds and we have all these supposedly compostable forks and spoons that we're giving people to eat the food that we serve at Bridgehead, this coffee shop. Right now we have to pay to have that stuff taken care of. What will we do with it? And the food cycle people are like, oh, why don't we put in this thing the size of a trash can in your every one of your coffee shops and we'll put all that stuff in there, throw in some enzymes and see whether or not we can make a soil amendment. And guess what? It's working. And so now they have something to sell instead of something that they have to pay to have taken off their hands. So it's pretty exciting when you see projects like that, that weren't what we expected. We thought we'd have people coming to us saying that they were going to make a better compostable spoon. But in the same spirit of Henry Ford, who said, if you ask people what they want, they're going to say faster horses. These guys came to us with the Model T instead. So it's it's exciting to be in this space and to be able to support people who have those big ideas. And there's lots of big ideas that are fueling change in Canada. I mentioned supply chain being difficult here. Geographically, we're very broad and immense, and it doesn't always make sense. I saw the president of Walmart Canada speak recently, and he has worked in the U.S. and in Chile for Walmart, and he pointed out that in Canada, he needs about, even though he has access to this global portfolio of technologies that he can adopt very easily for Canada, he said about 30% of the solutions he needs are unique to us, and a lot of that is because of supply chain in a country of 40 million people, he has 400 stores, and just the distribution center model that they use in other countries doesn't quite work here because the distribution centers are still never quite as as close as they need to be, and the fuel needs are are much higher, et cetera. So it is a unique place in that we're really big, and we have a small population that clusters around the U.S. border. But then we still have all these folks that need and deserve the same lifestyle and the same access to products that the people along our border enjoy. So it's a, like you said, every geographic location has its own foibles and needs its own tweaks. Indeed. 
And what is the, the investment climate in Canada in terms, both from angel investors and venture capital, all the way to obviously you guys and government funding? It's changed rapidly with the, um, so coming out of the pandemic, Canada had very low interest rates. I'm talking like 0.5% type interest rates. So there was absolutely no incentive to put your money into bonds or a savings account even. So the angel community was very vibrant for many years leading up to and, and post the pandemic. Now our interest rates are about 5%. So the, a lot of the angel money has, has evaporated because it's if you can buy a guaranteed um, income certificate, a GIC as we call them here in Canada, and you get 5.5%. You might not, you, you, you're probably angel investing at that point for fun and because you really are not um, sensitive to the cost of, of your investments. The, the, the VC and private equity space in Canada is well developed, but I would say a little more conservative than other countries. We are working ourselves at really learning and understanding how to properly match me when they, the, those folks identify a company that fits their portfolio, they're quite quick to make investments and there is some patient capital, but again, it's a big shaggy country and it's hard to do that matchmaking. So that's something that we're working on right now. And we hope to have some ways to benchmark our innovation companies that are part of our network and start to help them to create milestones so that we can have investor roundtables where we do connect them, them better. We have a, a banking system in Canada that is very safe, extremely safe because they're very few and they're highly government uh, regulated. So the fintech adoption is very high and our banks really, uh, because they're very large, they have teams who really understand innovation and investment. And most of our banks have, uh, of course, debt uh, financing, but many of them also have investment um, branches as well. For instance, Farm Credit Canada, FCC, as they now like to be called, they do a lot of investing into companies that are growing and then are, say, are TRL 7-8, and they are very willing to help them create consortium investors to get to TRL 9. So I would say that it's a pretty good environment. It's not on fire. It's shrunk a little, but for companies that have a strong management team, founder team, who have a good business model and have a proven technology, that there is opportunity. We made an announcement the other day about a company that has lots of buzz from activity beyond ours. And that announcement went out around noon my time. 8 a.m. the next morning, I sat down and there was one of Canada's, I would say, most respected VCs in my inbox saying, Dana, I need an intro to that CEO. And there's people looking for good activity, but the value has to be balanced at this point. I don't see anybody taking a lot of risks and, and throwing cash around right now in Canada. Yeah, or elsewhere. I mean, we had that. I think it's universal, yeah. Yeah, a few years ago, that's exactly what was happening. It was like, oh my God, there's money growing on trees for startups. Like, and now they say, oh, they cut back. I was like, oh, it's normal now. 
we're not giving hundreds of millions of dollars to a presentation. <laughs> you know exactly. What exactly. Look. I think everyone learned that that didn't always pay off. And I also think it's not that fair to to startups, to young startups, to give them so much money and give them crazy valuations when they're so young. Because then all you have to do is you, you just have to keep growing more and more and more, right? And uh, instead of being a little bit more organic in growth and building those foundations and doing things, I think in a better way, right? In a safer way. Yeah, more purposeful, maybe. It's not my area of expertise, as I told you about my background and capital F foodie. But what I've seen, yeah, is that when you put a lot of pressure on a startup or any business and expect them to work towards what are really very arbitrary false deadlines like quarters and fiscal years and to quit thinking like the carrot and getting to the carrot in whatever is the best way possible that people make decisions that are not and strategic. So I'm not a huge fan. I'm, I'm a donkey. So you show me where my carrot is. I don't know how I'm going to get to that carrot, but I will get to that carrot. And it may take me in some really weird places, but like you said earlier, Sharon, on each one of those touch points along the way, I'm going to learn something and put it back into my model. And if some of those those touch points, I have to stay there a little while because I don't have the money. I'm going to learn a ton. That's my very non-finance background of thinking about company growth. Same. I'm with you on that one. Awesome. I want to be mindful of time. So I wanted to ask you a quick question on, obviously, when we talk innovation and we talk investments, we talk problems, but no innovation can stand on its own two feet without regulatory approval or policy innovation, which is key, right? What what does that look like in Canada? We're a social democracy. So we have a market-based economy, but we have more regulatory complexity and a bigger G government than, say, our neighbor to the South, the U.S., our food is internationally regarded as very safe. Our reputation for food safety is super high because we take our time with, with saying that something is an approved ingredient, for instance. Almost any case you could think of in the last 50 years where a novel ingredient came to market, it was generally, and I'm thinking of things like sucralose and, and that kind of stuff that those ingredients are almost always approved first for human consumption in the US and then later in, in Canada. We, we I can't think of a case where we were the first ones to adopt something. So that can be frustrating for innovators, but it also helps us to be a globally trusted partner. And much like the conversation you and I just had about investment, it prevents people from moving too quickly with things that that aren't well understood. So what we really see in that context is that a lot of startups, companies who are trying to do things in the novel ingredient space, the nutrition space, you'll see them do a lot of their work and build their company in Canada and then take advantage of the dollar discrepancy, we're generally, with some exceptions over the last 15 years, we're generally the favorable for exports with our dollar being lower against the U.S. So a lot of these companies will launch 
Even though it's a Canadian-based company, it will launch products in the U.S., learn a lot, and then be come to market uh, in Canada a little bit later when our regulatory catches up. It's, yeah, it, you can make a case for and against our model, but it, as a consumer, I gotta say, I, I have a lot of trust in our system, even if it does frustrate us sometimes in, in a business context. Yeah, when we look at innovation, we have to be safe. And Europe is a very safe, just like Canada and slow, but to the point that a little too much at times, I feel, especially with the issues that we are facing and the opportunities that we might be missing as well Mm -hmm. uh, compared to maybe other countries. But that's a conversation for another day because it's like a long conversation. (laughs) And probably uh, you need somebody with a, a little more uh, depth and and in the actual you know in the in the topic. But from my chair and uh, and from what I've seen, it's in hindsight it all works out in the wash. But in the moment, it can be very frustrating for somebody who wants to be first to market. Yeah, no, absolutely. Also, some problems that we have are actually I would say worsening quickly, right? Oh um, yeah. And to be gentle. And- you know, we have some acute issues, there's no doubt, and, and they aren't going to go away by themselves. Yeah. So it's we have to put all our heads together and start working together, right? Also on policy reform, because I think that is key also, not just on regulatory approval, but on, on simple things like subsidies, incentives, or anything that will help us promote or reward those that are mindful maybe of our climate and our resources and maybe not so much those that are doing the opposite, a lot of greenwashing and so forth. Like I think that's a very key thing that until we do, we start looking beyond the lobbies, we're going to have some big gaps. That's Yeah, I agree. I don't think anyone goes into their business day intending to greenwash, but because of the intense competitiveness of the economy, whether it's in food or other things, um, when there's an opportunity to say something that makes your company look and sound better, it's very hard for a leader to say, no, that's not the balanced approach and making it making it more difficult to do that is is important. And again, I think it ties into that conversation we had about the um, artificiality of these types of deadlines, quarterly earnings reports uh, for shareholders and and fiscal cycles and that kind of thing. Again, it, uh, it that does not incentivize leaders to make, the best choices sometimes. Uh, yeah, I'm going outside of my area of expertise and talking about myself as a citizen at this point. But I, yeah, I think that's what you're getting at. And I think even if we look at places that are the ones that are always paying the price are somehow the farmers um, and the consumers, right? Like the two ends of the chain are the ones that are usually getting the short end of the stick here. 
Uh, but unfortunately, the food business is uh, has very low, very little margins. So there's a lot to fix. And that's a great segue into why I'm so passionate about, even though I'm trained as a chef and wrote cookbooks and all that kind of stuff and come from the culinary side of the food business, why I'm so passionate about what we're doing at the Canadian Food Innovation Network, because it's by adopting innovation that we'll find margin. The Alpine companies become more competitive and more efficient, use fewer resources and have a lower footprint. Well, you use less power. Guess what? You also have a lower power bill. So anyhow, long story short, I really do feel that innovation work and the adoption of technologies broadly by the industry will maybe not help us to lower food prices, but hopefully to find more value for everybody as we go forward, not have to raise the prices and be able to give farmers and producers and others along the value chain who add true value to give them a more fair uh, cut of, of the pie. And hopefully that'll help consumers to have a less volatile and shocking experience at the grocery store and restaurants because they will trust that the grocery bill they had last week is going to be the same basket of, of food the same next week. So that's that's something that I, I really truly believe in and why I'm, I'm, I lead this organization. Well, kudos to you. And I do agree. So we are out of time. So before we close, I ask one question to all of my guests, which is if you had a magic wand, Here's your magic wand, Dana. What is the one thing that you would change or do or create in terms of, let's say, food system transformation? The very, very important question, and I hope I can come up with an answer on the spot that, that's worthy of it. I do think that I would encourage more open innovation and encourage more companies who have problems to be open and transparent about them and say, you know what, we don't know how to fix this. And we're open to ideas and to have stronger lines of communication. I know from working, one of the companies I worked in as a food processing executive was worth two and a half billion dollars. So I know that we, for instance, were very competitive and didn't share our problems widely because we were worried that we would be taken advantage of. Another company I worked at, we had seven tractor trailers filled with old equipment that we paid to store on a monthly basis, thousands of dollars, because that's a lot of space to take up, because we were afraid that if we sold those to smaller companies, that it would unlock some of our trade secrets and that we would have them competing with us now. So I would say that if I had a magic wand, I'd take away that kind of thinking. And I think it would really help to move, uh, to take give the innovators the information they need to solve the right problems and to really help move the industry forward more quickly. Right now, they're guessing a lot. Like, do you want this? Do you want that? And if they know exactly what you wanted, they're really smart people. They build it. I completely agree. 
definitely we need also a common language, right? Uh, and yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh, don't get me started on that every day. Um, I have that degree in English that I told you about. So every day I'm trying to be very precise with my language and help people to understand what words mean. And it goes crazy bad sometimes. <laughs> yes. Uh, Dana, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for being a guest today and uh, good luck with everything. Thank you. Thank you. This was a really nice opportunity to, and to get to talk to you and, and hear about some of your ideas too. So thank you for sharing uh, your thoughts. You're welcome. Want to deep dive into food innovation? Subscribe to the Food Tech Junkies series. Tune in and listen to the industry's champions whose mission is to reinvent our future by collaborating and disrupting the status quo as a way to rebalance our planet and our daily lives. For more great food and ag tech content, visit our website at www.edibleplanetventures.com and don't forget to follow us on social media.